Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, a, a few questions and answers, I suppose, are in order. Over the course of the last three days, things have changed around here. We went from white on the altar to black. We went from white on the pastor to black. We've turned a corner. As I mentioned on Sunday, last Sunday was a hinge Sunday in the church year. We celebrated the last afterglow of Christmas. On Transfiguration Sunday, we heard testimony from God the Father, who is Jesus Christ? He answers the question. We heard testimony at Christmas time from angels. We heard testimony from Mary and Joseph. We heard testimony from wise men, and we heard testimony from shepherds. And we heard testimony from John the Baptist about who Jesus is. His own works and his own miracles demonstrate the veracity of those words, the truthfulness of them. He is the Son of God. But at his baptism and at his transfiguration, those those two markers during the Epiphany season, God the Father himself gives testimony. This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Transfiguration Sunday is that last afterglow of Christmas that answers the question, who is Jesus? For all of these months, we've been underlining and setting in bold type and putting in large letters. Who is Jesus? The answer to that question, God the Son, the Son of God, come to be with us in the flesh. But now we turn a corner, not to look back on Christmas any longer, but to begin to look forward to Easter. It is now six weeks until the groundhog, I mean, until Easter happens. And in these six weeks, we consider what Jesus has done. As Christmas answers the big question, who is he? Easter answers the question, what has he done? Why do we worship him? Why do we see him as the savior of the world? Why do we recognize our, our need for saving at all? What has he done? Over the course of, of Lent, these days give us opportunity to trace the, the work of Christ to bear the cross for us. Gives us opportunity to recognize that everything he endured, he endured for us, for our benefit. That the punishment of sin is death. And to be honest about that, to be honest because we can be because we have a promise of life on the other side of that death. But can you imagine, can you imagine coming into uh, the church today and, and imagining then that you're going to lay out before the Lord all of your sins and iniquities as we do so in a general way, and even with this extended form to be receiving ashes and to consider your own sinfulness would you even consider doing that if, if there wasn't the guarantee of the promise to follow, I forgive you? You've probably been in that kind of situation in other relationships you've had where to admit 
was a risky undertaking because you weren't always sure that you were going to be forgiven on the other side of that admission. And if you're not confident of forgiveness, there's always the temptation to hide. Well, that's where Adam and Eve were to begin with, weren't they? They didn't know that God was a forgiving God because they'd never sinned before. Well, now they had, and so their first reaction was to try to run away, to escape, to hide. He comes looking for them and comes to give his promise of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to embrace them again and to call them by a new name. They begin to learn that while they are now going to die, it hasn't, it hasn't completely broken the relationship. His word his creative word, that very word that becomes flesh in Jesus Christ, that word crosses the boundaries of time and space, but also the boundary that sin puts up between us. It breaks through it. It pierces it so that our ears can hear God's faithfulness. During a episode of Seinfeld during the last season of the show. George comes clean with Jerry. All the things that he's dealing with, all the things that keep him up at night, all the things that, that trouble his heart and spirit, the camera cuts away and in fact goes to a commercial while he apparently lays out all of his sins to Jerry. I guess the writers couldn't come up with enough to, to fill in that gap. But when it cuts back to the scene, Jerry's face is... And his only words are, good luck with all that. Now I'll consider, if we were to come into church today, recognizing our sin, recognizing our need for God's mercy and grace. And pastor would turn to you after all of that confessing and say, good luck with all that. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. It would be to lie about God, because what does God do with repentant sinners? God forgives repentant sinners. Realizing, too, that that's exactly the kind of pastoral care that Judas got when he ran back into the temple. After betraying the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, he goes back to the temple, to the place where he thought he supposed to go to get a word from the Lord, throws the money into the temple very repentantly and says loud and clear, I have betrayed innocent blood. Now there's a repentant man. And what does the priest tell him? That's on you. That's exactly what Judas was told.
he hangs himself because of very bad pastoral care. He is left in his despair. Far be it from anyone who would speak for God to speak in such a way. I'm given words to say, not because I don't know what to say, but so that you can have confidence that that's exactly what you are going to hear and that that's God's response to your repentant prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Absolutely. Absolutely absolved. I forgive you, not because there's anything in me that can do any forgiving at all, but because of your call, your call to be your pastor. And so in this assembly and in this place to speak those words for God for you. That is a power trip for me but for the assurance that God provides when he forgives. We are creatures. We have eardrums. And God uses our vocal cords and our eardrums to assure us that we are bound to him. I confess, I forgive. It is a true, a true joy a true joy to be placed and set in the midst of a people of God in order to speak those words. There is, in Luther's writings, he says, no clearer demonstration of the gospel. No clearer demonstration of the good news. It's not describing anything about Jesus, you see. We do a lot of talking about Jesus in church. You know, come to Bible class and you hear all kinds of things about Jesus. But then there are these moments within the divine service where Jesus' voice is heard. Jesus himself speaks. And when he speaks his gospel word, it's a far clearer word than any that comes from E.F. Hutton. Hearing God's forgiveness so clearly hearing and trusting that everything that I have in my mind and in my heart, things I can remember and things I can't, things that God already in his wisdom and by his spirit has graciously already even removed from my mind so that I can sleep at night a few more hours, all of them, all of them, all of them, gathered at the foot of the cross, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so in sackcloth and ashes, together with the saints of old, we come together to lay before our Lord all that would burden us, all that would hinder our prayers, all that would trouble us and keep us up in the wee hours of the morning. We plead guilty before God of all sins, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Trespasses, we say. But perhaps there are those times and places in your experience when doing that in kind of a general way 
turns out to not quite be enough. And what do I mean by not quite enough? Is it that God hasn't forgiven? No, it's not at all that God hasn't forgiven. It's that it's still in my head. And it's still in my heart. And it's still weaponry for the enemy. It's still weaponry for Satan. He, he can still dredge up those memories and he can still recycle those sins and he can rob me of my peace. And he doesn't have to make anything up, does he? We've given him all the ammunition he needs just by living our lives in this world. And he loves, if there's nothing more that he loves than to just replay the things that we have done, the things that we have said, oh yes, and the things that we have thought. And in robbing us of our peace, he can lead us down the path of imagining that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is for everyone else, but not for me. God doesn't know what I've done. God doesn't forgive that deeply. God doesn't follow me all the way down to the bottom of that pit. That lie is exactly the lie that Satan tries to use to extinguish the flame of faith, to bottle it up. And so it is the truth of Jesus that needs to break through that lie. Confession and absolution or praying the Lord's Prayer, forgive us, this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's kind of like taking your daily vitamin, forgiveness. It's a reminder that the, the baptismal waters cover you. You live in a state of grace. God forgives. He forgives, not because you're worth it, but because Jesus is. And that's just fine. But when those barbs of the enemy lodge deeply into our minds and hearts, we have a further recourse. Individual private confession absolution is laser surgery. It's not a daily vitamin. It goes right after the issue. It goes right after the cause. It goes right after that barb and it extracts it. It sets it up in the light and it absolves it. I forgive you. And there is no sin that can stand in the presence of the word of the Lord. The forgiveness of God, the blood of Christ, covers all sins. But is the enemy wily? Does he give up? No. The enemy is wily. He is cunning. He doesn't give up. He is so terrified of being all alone in hell that he can't think of anything better than to have a few folks there with him. Oh, don't get the impression that he's going to be tormenting anyone. He's going to be tormented plenty himself. But the idea of being there on his own just terrifies him. And so he keeps throwing those barbs and lodging those doubts. And he keeps reminding us, even of sins forgiven. And so we come again to the Lord 
We lay out the sin, we lay out our doubts, we lay out our fears. And Christ in his mercy gives us a word to trust. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because you have been bound to him in your baptism, you are free. And with that word ringing in our ears, we have the assurance that everything we bring before the Lord is buried, dead, and a new life, a new life springs forth. This is a time of fasting. We have times of fasting in the church year. We have times of feasting in the church year. Fasting is, fasting is always an opportunity to look forward to the feast that is yet to come. And so we look forward to Easter every single day. Look forward to being able to sing those songs. And we pray that a certain kind of time leading up to it will make all of those songs rejoice with us even more even more deeply, even more ringingly. So the journey to the cross begins. The Lord has set his face towards Jerusalem. There he will be convicted, he will be tried, he will be tried and he will be convicted. He will be rejected by Jew, Gentile, all the nations alike. All of us. He will be on the cross alone bearing the weight of all sins, of all people, of all times around the world. He will stand in our place. And as we meditate on what he has done and why he has done it, and our deep need for this very redemption, we have the foretaste of an Easter joy that will be for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. amen.